Open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Golfer John Daly. Those of you that don't follow the golfing world, this is a well-known professional golfer. Golfer John Daly sees his, his ruin from afar. In a candid admission in his autobiography, Mr. Daly says he lost between 50 and 60 million to a gambling habit that spun out of control over a dozen years. He says he's not over his gambling addiction either. If I don't get control of my gambling, it's going to flat out ruin me. A lot of things have ruined Mr. Daly and so on, and he he talks about these things in his book. The book details one gambling episode when Mr. Daly won $750,000 in bets despite losing to Tiger Woods on a playoff at the World Golf Championship last fall. Instead of banking the cash or using it to pay down his gambling debts, Mr. Daly took the loot to Las Vegas where he lost that sum and nearly one million more playing mainly $5,000 per pull slot machines. Mr. Daly says he has a plan to control his gambling habit. And by the way, I bear him no ill will. This is just a very poignant example of what we're going to talk about today. Here's how he's going to control his gambling habit. He says he'll start with $25 slot machines only. (laughs) 25 bucks, 25 bucks, 25 bucks. He'll start with $25 slot machines only. If I make a little bit, then maybe I'll move up to the $100 slot machines or the $500 slots, or maybe I'll take it to the blackjack table. It's their money, why not give it a shot and try to double it? And if I make a lot, I can, and it ends. You know, that's an example on a a grand scale. I don't think any of us have the money to come close to that. But we've all done the same thing. We have a sinful habit or character trait that needs to change. And the best you can come up with is something like, well, I'm going to try to do it less. And then discouragement comes. When you have to look yourself in the mirror and you consider the possibility that real change may never happen. How much more frightening to look at a husband or wife or a child and think they will never change. I will always have to put up with this hurtful, harmful, sinful habit or character trait. Friends, I'm not here to be a prophet of doom today, just the opposite. I have good news. Real change is possible. If it wasn't, I'd get a different job. I mean it. Real change is possible. Let's read from Ephesians 4 how that real change is possible for you and your family. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, 
that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or those who don't know Christ as Savior, the unsaved. You should no longer walk as the rest of the unsaved walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have, been, you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The new life that we talked about last week, the new life that you want to live, requires new thoughts. Change begins in your mind. Now, don't worry, I'm not becoming a Christian scientist or Scientologist or some other crazy thing like that. But God declares that our minds are sinful as well as our behaviors. And in fact, the sin of the mind is the sin that we have a hard time recognizing. Now, there are, there are real overt mental sins, and we could all name some pretty quickly. Those, are, those need to change, but I'm thinking about things that are much more subtle, much more insidious, because what you need to understand, Christian, is this. Behavior is a product of thought. It is not a product of feeling. It is not automatic. It is a product of how you think. Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart, or, or the Proverbs, I believe, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think gives you permission to act. Behavior is a product of thought. Look with me at verse 23. The key to changing your life is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Did you know that when Adam and Eve sinned, and sin came on the human race, and sin passed on to you because you're part of the human race, did you know that your mind was warped by sin. And again, I'm not even talking about the overt mental sins. I'm just talking about the way we think in general. And so sinful thoughts, sinful actions are based on sinful thoughts. Look at verse 17 with me. How do the Gentiles walk? And for those of you that are new to the Bible, in the New Testament, the word Gentile is used two ways. When it's, when it's put right alongside of the word Jew, as in Jews and Gentiles, it's, it's often talking about an ethnic differentiation, the Jews being the chosen people of God, the Gentiles being everybody else, which is me and most of you, except Rick. He's half Jewish, so he gets there either way, you know. <laughs> but most of the time in the New Testament, the word Gentile is used as a synonym for an unsaved or an unbelieving person. And that's the way it's used here. He said, there is a way that the unbelievers walk or live their life. And how do they live their life? In the futility of their mind. The walk 
comes from the thought. The lifestyle comes from your thoughts. Having their understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of the heart. All of that having to do with the thought process and the processes of thinking and deciding. And then what results is, because they are past feeling, they have given themselves over to sinful actions. John MacArthur quotes an interesting sociological study. This is a study of society done by unbelievers who say this, we have indicated that criminals come from a broad spectrum of homes, both disadvantaged and privileged within the same neighborhood. Some are violators and most are not. It is not the environment that turns a man into a criminal. It is a series of choices that he makes starting at a very early age. This is unbelievers talking about where criminals come from. And they're saying it's because people make choices. Choices are made by our thoughts. A sinful person thinks like this. Here's a couple of examples. My wife has not been very loving to me, therefore, my adultery is not that bad. My parents don't know how hard it is to be my age. So it's okay to disobey them and sneak out and do whatever I like. Do you see how the thought leads to the behavior and the thought justifies the behavior? Thoughts are always the basis of actions. Sinful actions always come from sinful thoughts. So if we want to change our behavior, we have to change our thinking. Conversely, righteous actions are based on righteous thoughts. And here's the tricky part. Righteous thoughts are not accidental. You know what accidental thoughts are? Accidental thoughts are what, we th what is the myth of behavior, which is someday I'm going to wake up and feel like doing something righteous. It's just going to automatically happen. I'm going to get up going, I'm going to live for Jesus today. It's just going to well up within me without me doing anything. And that is a myth. Your thoughts are consciously chosen, and therefore your behaviors are consciously chosen as well. Look at verse 20. He, he talks, first of all, in verses 17 through 19 about the way unbelievers run their life, and then he says, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard, that's part of the thinking process as well. You have been taught as the truth is in Jesus that you put off. And verse 23, and then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In verse, the new thoughts of verse 20 and verse 23 lead to the removal in verse 22, putting off sinful conduct. The word old man in the New Testament is a synonym for the way you used to be before you were a Christian. The old man, the new man, is the one created in Christ Jesus. If you think right thoughts, you will put off the sinful conduct and you will put on, verse 24, the new conduct. Look at 
Romans 12.2. This is a key verse for you. In fact, I've put it at the end of your notes for one to meditate on this week. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That is, let your whole life be changed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word transform means a real change of existence. It means a change from the inside out. It means a genuine, complete change. The word conform, in contrast, means an external change. And what he's saying here in the big picture is, Christian, once you put your faith in Christ, you are not an unbeliever, but you can clothe yourself with the behavior of an unbeliever. And that would be to be conformed to this world. But it's never the real you because you're a believer inside there. He says, don't do that. Don't put on the behavior of the world. Let that go and instead be changed from the inside out. The word for transform is the word metamorphosis. It's that word that talks about how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly it's a, it's a real change of being that happens. Your life, Christian, can be changed as you think more like Christ. One of the reasons that I constantly, constantly am saying, get in the Word, get in the Word, because as the Word gets in your head, Jesus will get into your hands. Your life can only be changed as your mind becomes more godly. There will be no visible change until there is invisible change. This is the absolute key. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is your loved one is struggling with, the absolute starting point is to start to think righteously about the behavior or the situation. And sometimes that takes a little bit of digging to come up with a very clear, concise concept of what God thinks. Sin behavior is a product of thought. Number two, thought must be a product of God's word. Listen to these verses. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How do you get the, the grace and peace of God? It comes through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How do we get those things? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us great promises. That through these, through the promises, you may partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There is only one path to the nature of Christ. And it is through the knowledge of God's word. It starts there. We've got to know God's thoughts. We've got to think God's thoughts. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 3. But we with, with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Last week we talked about the work of the Spirit and how the, the key to getting a, a good life is, is the Holy Spirit needs to come in through faith in Christ. What is the mirror he's talking about looking in? It's this one right here. As we look into it, we are transformed from glory to glory. That's essentially saying we're moving up the steps of glory, if you will. We look into the mirror. 
but you got to look. You got to get it open and look. All scripture is given by inspiration, or to paraphrase, to expand the word, it is the very word of God, it is the very breath of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God, and that's not talking about a preacher, that's any human being who is a child of God, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Another word for complete there would be mature, prepared for what God has for you. God's word prepares you for righteous living. What does this mean to your family? Husbands and wives, the only way you can genuinely love your spouse is out of a heart and mind saturated with God's truth. That's the only way. When you wake up in the morning and Mr. Wonderful doesn't look that way or smell that way, How are you going to act loving? Come home from work and Mrs. Wonderful isn't quite so. How are you going to act loving? It's as the thoughts of Christ are permeating your mind. We all know that Jesus has infinite patience. But that's available to us through the Word of God. We all know that Jesus wouldn't come home from work and throw down his briefcase and holler at the wife and kids and kick the dog. But why? It's because of what he thinks and what he understands. And it's possible for us to think like that. And it's possible for us to think more and more and more like that as our days go by. What does this mean to your family? It means, parents, if you want your family to be Christ-like, you need to be leading with a mind firmly rooted in God's Word. Does God's Word so permeate your mind, Christians, that when you need to discipline your children, you explain the righteousness and sinfulness of their behavior in the full orb of it? In other words, to help them not only to understand they disobeyed, but what's wrong with what they did and to really explain it to them. As you do that, do you know what you're doing with your kids? You are turning God loose on them. And do you know what? God can convict them of sin better than you can. Did you know that? Am I telling you something new? Man, I want God twisting my kids' hearts. I do. Because the same thing is true of their life that's true of mine. If their heart, their mind changes, their life will change. The key leadership that needs to be exerted by parents is the leadership of thinking godly. Children, if you would live out God's will of obedience and honor to your parents, the only way you can do that is to fill your mind with God's truth. If you think like an average kid, you're going to disobey your parents. You're going to sneak around when they're not looking and so on and so forth. That is the normal way kids think. But if you think like Jesus, your behavior is going to reflect Jesus. 
Parents, you need to be seeking to influence your children's heart and mind with God's truth, not just to conform their behavior to their standards. When I think of this, I think of the parent, and this is my pet peeve, and so if you don't agree with me, God will help you understand otherwise. (laughs) See a little kid, and it's time to go, and Mama or daddy says, let's put the coat on, and the kid fusses and squirms. And so what's the parent do? They pick the kid up, because they can, and they stick him under their arm, and they shove the coat on him. They say, come on, we're going. And you know what that does? Nothing. It teaches the kid that when I get big enough, my mom won't be able to do that anymore. We'll talk more about parenting later on. But you know what needs to change in little Johnny's heart? or in his, in his life, it's his heart, it's his mind. And he needs to learn that that behavior is wrong, that that behavior is futile. You know how you teach little Johnny that it's futile? You say, Johnny, the only thing that behavior is going to get you is pain, brother. And pretty soon Johnny goes, you know what? It would be better if I obeyed than if I didn't. And when that happens, Johnny is starting to think like Jesus Even before he knows Christ as his Savior, he's starting to think the right way. And once he comes to know Christ as his Savior, then the Holy Spirit is is in there working on him. And so when you speak God's word to him, the Holy Spirit says, I'll take it from here, Dave. And he goes over and goes at it. Man, that's what we've got to have. That's how kids are changed. That's how husbands and wives are changed. Don't scream and yell at your husband or your wife. Calmly speak the word of God. Because then you turn God loose on them. And then stand back. Let God do his thing. And that, I don't want to be so presumptuous as to think I know exactly how my wife should live, but God knows. And vice versa. New life requires... New thinking, it also requires new behavior. Look at at Ephesians 4 again at verse 22. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God. And here's the, the critical truth here in this behavior change. Righteous behavior must replace sinful behavior. Sinful behavior cannot be successfully stopped without the starting of righteous behavior to replace it. And what we're going to see in the next three weeks as we consider verses 25 down through chapter 5, verse 7, is a whole series of these. Put off this, put on that. Let's look at one as an example in verse 25. Put away lying and speak the truth. Now, it kind of goes without saying that if you don't lie, you're telling the truth, but maybe there's some way to to just stop the lying but not tell the truth. I don't know. (laughs) But that's the way we do it. We stop the one, we start the other. And, And for everything that God tells us to do, there is a sin to put off and a righteousness to put on. Here's a question to ask. When is a drunk not a drunk? Some people would say, well, when he's sober. And I would say no. 
He is no longer controlled by alcohol when he is controlled by the Spirit of God. God says we've got to replace the old behavior with the new. The Da Vinci Code, which is, of course, a fiction, and even the parts of it that it claims to be true based on history, those parts are not accurate, you know. One of those parts of the story talks about a certain small town in France. They did a little feature story on this on on the TV the other day. And in this town in France, there was a priest, and it's a little poor town, and there was a little poor church there years ago. And all of a sudden, one day, this priest has money to fix up the church. And they built quite a, a, it's small, but quite an ornate church there. And the, the story, of course, in Da Vinci is that somehow that has to do with some part of finding the Holy Grail and so on. The story that has gone on for years before the Da Vinci Code with this priest is this. He found a treasure. And he didn't use it all. And so the treasure is still there in that town. And this little town has nothing going for it except treasure hunters. People coming around looking for the treasure. They had to enact a law that says you cannot dig any more holes in town. Because people were coming around digging stuff up looking for the treasure. And they just said, man, we just had to stop that. You know, um, It's a phony treasure. There's no treasure there. There never has been a treasure there. It's, it's a myth. It's something that's been built up over time. This, on the other hand, is a real treasure sitting, waiting for us that tells us how to have new behavior. If you thought that in your living room there was a box full of gold coins, would you open it? <laughs> yeah. Friends, the reason that we don't change, the reason that we don't have power to change, the reason that we don't know how to act is because we don't know God's word. It's all there for us. He has given us everything we need to know for life and godliness. It is a real treasure. And so we can learn how our righteous behavior can replace our sinful behavior. But it's not enough focus on the behavior. We've got to focus on the entire process of behavior that needs to be replaced. Romans 13, 14 helps us with this when it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. What does that mean, to make a provision for the flesh? What's talking about is planning to sin. Do you plan to sin? Sometimes you do. Let me turn that around. Do you plan to live righteously? Well, what's that look like? Well, it looks like this. I have a friend who said, uh, he, he was telling me about trying to teach a, a young Christian something, and he said, here's, here's an example here of what I do. He says, if I'm walking down the street and a good-looking woman catches my eye, I look left. And the friend says, why left? He says, i got to look somewhere. He has a plan for what he's going to do so that his 
thought life will be righteous. He doesn't wait till the temptation of the moment and then think, hmm, I wonder how long I can look here without sinning. Oh, that's too long. Shoot, sorry Lord, I did that again. One of the keys to changing your behavior is to plan what a righteous behavior will look like. If you have a hard time speaking to your spouse righteously, you need to analyze your, 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 your speech, and we'll be looking at that next week in particular and, and thinking about how do I speak and what does it look like and what should it look like. And you plan to live righteously. Do you have a plan for righteousness in your life? I knew a man many years ago who was trying to give up alcohol, and, and he, he says to his pastor, Every time I drive by this tavern, I, on my way home from work, I drive by this tavern and I just want to go in there and have a drink with my old drinking buddies. Well, part of the counsel is start driving home a different direction. Remove, if, 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 if moving away from that tavern will help you to remove the temptation, then do it. Plan to live righteously. I knew someone that had a hard time with tension headaches. And it never occurred to me that God's word could help with tension headaches. I happened to go to a, a conference and there was a medical doctor speaking and all of a sudden the lights went on and, and I came home and I said, describe to me the process of when you get a tension headache. And it was virtually the same time every day when she would get them. And she would be working away in her cubicle and in her big company and, and the boss would come by and, and spew fire over something. You know, you, you're too slow, you're too this, you're too that, too whatever. And she said, I can just feel it start down the middle of my back and just work its way up right up to my head. Well, what's going on? Well, something in her thinking and the way she responds to the boss is causing her not to live in peace and joy. For her, it had to do with learning that the boss is not the ultimate arbiter of whether she's a good person or a bad person. God is. And if I can look up to heaven and say, God, I've been working hard and I've been doing my best, then when the boss comes by, I act like Charlie Brown in the school when it goes... Now, I keep working hard and I do my best. Maybe I can speed up. But I don't look inside and say, oh, I'm a bad person and oh, I'll never be any good and on and on and on. And pretty soon it's a physical symptom in your life. The whole process of sin needs to be replaced with a process of righteousness. I can guarantee you the behavior that you want to get rid of is a process, not a one-step activity. The problem is, is that sometimes we have acted in a way so many times so much that we think it's automatic. And we don't realize there is a thought process that we go through that gets us to the behavior which is sinful. No behavior or the resulting feeling from the behavior stands alone. They are the result of a process. Righteous behavior must replace sinful. The entire process of behavior must be replaced. And then thirdly, new behaviors must become new habits. One of the, thing I, one of the things I was reading again this week had to do with habits. And, and, and I thought, you know, he's really saying something that I haven't considered. And that is that God has created us with the ability to work, to live habitually. You know, every morning I, I brush my teeth 
and I floss them before I get in the shower. And I floss my teeth, and I, I start back here, and I go around the top, and then I start back here and go around the bottom. And if I start at the wrong place, I almost can't finish. It's like, what in the world happened? If I'm thinking about something once in a while, it's like, oh, oh where am I at? It's such a, it's, it's just, it's just kind of, uh, 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 you know, and I, on I go. God has created us with the ability to live habitually, okay? Your habits are either sinful or righteous. Listen to some people who had habitual problems, but conquered them in the Lord. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that fornication, again, we talked about that last week, it's sexual activity outside of marriage, fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you're going to see what the next verse says, but this is not saying if you've ever done these sins, you can't go to heaven. What it's saying is if that's your lifestyle, then you are a sinner, and if you die in that lifestyle, you will go to hell. But I want you to focus here and look at the, the habitual nature of some of these activities. We look at homosexuality and we go, wow, you know, people believe it, it, it's, it's become such an automatic behavior in their life, they think they were born that way. But it's not. It's a habitual activity. Or, or, uh, or even uh, adultery or some, uh, you know, pornog- fornication covers the area of pornography, to be addict- addicted to pornography, quote-unquote. It's such a habitual activity that, that we think it can't be controlled, but it's a habit. And Because look what it says here. Such were some of you. In the Corinthian church, they had people who had been delivered from those sins. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified or made righteous. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. They had people who had habitual sin problems or what we call today addiction problems. And God delivered them. Habits can be made new. Habits can be unlearned. And I would suggest to you that habits have to start at the thinking level as well. Righteous habits are formed through planning. What are you planning to do the next time that temptation comes around? I would challenge you men, if you don't have a plan, that you adopt the plan of my friend who said, I look left. Or you could adopt the plan of David in the Old Testament. He said, let my eyes look straight ahead. I often think of that verse when I'm tempted. I said, let my eyes look straight ahead. Have a plan. Anything you're tempted in, anything you're struggling with, make a plan. What are you planning to do? Well, you know, I don't have time to make a plan. Friends, don't tell me that. You've got time to do everything else. What it really means is you don't want to change. Make a plan for righteous living. Righteous habits are formed through planning. Number two, righteous habits are formed through practice. I wanted to use the word perseverance. Oh, I don't like that. 1 Timothy 4, 7, exercise yourself toward godliness. The word for exercise here is the word where we get gymnasium from. And in that ancient world, that word referred to working out at the gym. Exercise yourself. 
Do you think your sinful habit will be turned into a righteous habit without work? Okay, God, I'm ready. Take it away from me. Do you know, one of the, one of the things we suffer with in modern Christianity is there are a lot of folks who, who want to tell you that. Uh, you know, I remember a, a well-known Christian leader who was caught in sexual sin publicly, and another Christian leader came along and said, I saw the demon of lust with his talons into the guy's back, and so he delivered him from the demon of lust. He, you know, he exercised the demon. Boy, I wish it was that easy. But that is neither biblical nor effective. The only way your habits will change is by taking hold of yourself like the Apostle Paul did when he said, I, I buffet my body daily. We'll see that verse in just a minute. Um, I loved being on the tennis team and the swimming team in high school. But I didn't like to practice. I went to practice because you couldn't play if you didn't go to practice. But I'll blame it on poor education. Nobody taught me I had to work hard. It was going to hurt if I was going to be anything more than mediocre. Uh, boy, you look at the regimen of some of these, these, these Olympic athletes and what they go through. I saw a thing on TV one time of the daily schedule of this, uh, I think it was a woman who was a swimmer and certain kind of workout and a swimming workout and, a, and this and this. I mean, all these different things all day long. It was a full-time job so she could win a race. Folks, if we're going to change, it's going to take effort. It's going to take hard work. Second Peter puts it this way, for this reason, this is what comes after those verses we read earlier where it says, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. For this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And, and he goes on with this whole list of things. Diligence, diligent work, hard work. The Apostle Paul really caps it off and he says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest... When I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. When he says there, bring it in, uh, I, I discipline my body. I believe in the King James, it says I beat my body or I, I, I buffet it. Now, the Apostle Paul wasn't actually beating himself trying to get control. But what he was saying is it's that much of a battle. It's like I've got to hit myself to get myself to follow along what I want to do. Righteous habits are formed through practice. Growth requires the use of what we know, not just the knowledge. After having my teeth cleaned this week, I was making an appointment for the next six months to get my teeth cleaned again, and I'm leaning over the counter looking at the, the clerk, and I got to looking, I thought, there's, there's a computer right here, and a computer screen, and it, and it had what looked like a scheduling program on it. But this gal was writing my appointment in a notebook with pages about this big, like, like big pages like this. And she, you know, for six months down the road, she grabs the pages and flips them over, you know, right? And I, I mean, it reminded me of being in Africa. That's, that's what it is at the border. They have these great big notebooks. That, you know, I, I saw a manual typewriter somewhere once. But they're these big notebooks. They flip these big pages and writing this stuff down. And I said, I couldn't help, I said, uh, you got a notebook and a computer. 
yeah, we're switching over to the computer, but, but it's not as good as the notebook, you know. And she had this reason, why, well, you know. Well, you could tell she was just resisting the change. I, I understand that. <laughs> change of any sort involves leaving the comfortable and the known and investing great amounts of effort to develop the new way. I know, of, I know a fellow whose business had to switch to computers and he didn't want to learn it, so he retired. Sold his business. Not going to do it. That's okay with business. In your house, you don't have to have a computer. That's fine. You don't have to change to that. But it's not okay in the Christian life to say, you know what, it's going to take too much effort to change. I'm just going to stick with my old sinful pattern. That is not acceptable because God expects you to be moving forward. In fact, if I understand Hebrews 12 correctly, if you choose not to have the pain of moving forward, God will give you some pain to motivate you to do so. I want to encourage you today that change is possible. It's achievable. Your family can be better tomorrow than it was today. You can be better tomorrow than you were today, but it's going to take some effort. Heavenly Father, help us. Help me to make the changes I need to make. Help me to replace my unrighteous habits with righteous ones. I pray in Christ's name, amen.